Yo, what's going on? This is Uncle Hokage, your Otaku uncle. And thanks for listening to Uncle Hokage's anime podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to get right into it. I want to talk about space operas. I want to talk about space themed shows. I want to talk about giant bots. I want to talk about um, those pink explosions that happen throughout the stratosphere. I want to talk about all of it. I don't even know why, but part of me has an inclination to kind of dive in because this is one of those subgenres not subgenre, this is one of those genres that just sort of has its own weird special place kind of within the whole realm when we think of anime, when we think of manga. This genre is different. And let me tell you why. When you think of when you think of anime as a almost like a byproduct, you think of Now, when you think of manga, you think of anime. They're related, they're associative, right? The reason for that is because in the creative process, the person who, or I guess the peoples who are actually creating the anime are not typically the creators of the story. They are just a part of the studio. And the studio is the ones, the studio are the ones who kind of get the show animated on screen, put together in a way that allows you to view it, right? So when you think about some of the ones that are on Netflix or you think about some of the ones that are on other networks, those like, I guess, establishments, they didn't actually, like Madhouse, Madhouse didn't actually create Hunter Hunter, right? They're a studio of talented animators. And what they do is they know how to do keyframe animation. They know how to do uh, modeling. They know how to do illustrations. But it doesn't mean that they're storytellers. It's a different skill set. And one that's often um, misregarded. And it's not noticeable unless it's gone, really. There are quite a few uh, mangaka who don't even want to do the writing they just like to draw they like to animate they like the illustration portion of the entirety of it right so think death note and famously the creators bakuman who also created death note and hikaru no go and a couple of others They work as a team. They work as, uh, what do you call it, a pair. So 
one of them draws, one of them writes. And they ended up making an entire incredibly popular manga series about just that fact. The beautiful part about that is that it showed people a lot of how that type of creation kind of comes into fruition. How you have the idea person the, who, who knows just how to like, he understands character, he understands setting, he understands genre. And then he has to kind of translate it in a way that will let the illustrations take the lead. And the illustrator knows not only just how to make something look good, but how to make something uh, tell a story. There was a book that I read a long time ago when I was really studying to be a writer, and it was called, um, I think it was called Writing for Comics. And when they say comics, I'm not talking about stand-up, I'm talking about comic books. It was really, really interesting. I believe it was, let me think, I think it was written by Stan Lee, or it was a Marvel book, and it had a foreword by Dan Kane or Mark Wade, someone at DC, and or vice versa. I think it was a DC book with a foreword by Stan Lee. Because even though they're in different companies, they're all kind of part of the same circle. So what they said in the book was that if you're drawing a comic book, there's actually quite a few rules. One of the most important rules is that each issue of a comic book is somebody's first comic book, which is why they do those kind of elaborate recaps. And in the recaps, what the recap does is it allows somebody to kind of catch up with what the overall overarching story is as opposed to just being dropped in and not being uh, oriented to what's going on. Two, you can't just show... um, How do you show someone getting punched if the pictures aren't moving? That's the key. So, do you then show a picture of the person pulling their fist up? A picture of the person pulling their fist farther back? A picture of the person throwing their fist? Etc, etc. So you have like a mini slideshow? Is that the really the best way to do it and go about it? No. What they did is they came up with tricks. So what they would do is they would show the, the fist having just punched the person. It would be past the person's face with that kind of like streak line, which would imply that motion just just happened. And so by using little tricks like showing the result of an action, action is implied and the reader does the math subconsciously in their mind. That's kind of the trick. So what the illustrator for Manga does is they do the kind of the exact same thing. They have to imply certain things where motion would be normally better suited, especially in mangas where people fight. And those fighting mangas really kind of rely on this. The best manga that does this the best, in my opinion, is One Punch Man. It's the most um, precise and impressive in terms of the illustrations 
in terms of making something big be very clear, relatable, comprehensible. It really does it better than just about every other manga that I've ever read. That's one of the reasons why I actually preferred to read it for the longest time as opposed to watching it. Because they were able to take those giant, grandiose notions and clarify them to such a degree that you would be a billion miles away and know exactly what's going on a billion miles in front of you. That's a skill. So, all that being said, the space opera does not really work on the, on the page. Not nearly as well, not nearly as clear. It works, but it doesn't work like it does when it's animated. And I'm not really sure what the reason is, because everything should work. But I never hear anyone say, my favorite manga is Gundam. My favorite manga is Macross. My favorite manga is Cowboy Bebop. Those shows that take place in outer space, Outlaw Star, the part with the characters is fine. But the space battles, the explosions, the, the speed of zooming and zipping around the actual Gundam machines operating in zero gravity I've never really seen anything of it work the only one I can think of is this one called Planets which I believe was written by the creator of Vinland Saga I haven't read it yet but one of my friends says it is his absolute favorite uh, one of his absolute favorite space operas that he just watched over a weekend like 25 episodes or something like that well that one probably worked because it's more character than bot battle fights but the fact that there really hasn't been any that kind of really come to the fruition I feel think that says something about the genre it says something about what you kind of receive in the animation versus on the still page just specifically for something like this now I may just be completely wrong I may just not really be understanding I may be off 180 degrees but I may not be I may be completely on to something and be noticing something that a lot of people haven't really noticed beforehand. I'm not saying that it's a rule. I'm not saying that it's a regulation. I'm not saying that it's um, a necessity. All I'm saying is that it's interesting. It's kind of interesting how I can't even really remember if I've even really read a manga like that. And I've read, I read everything. I've read some of the weirdest stuff. Uh, Ichi, Ichi the Killer comes to mind. Cage of Eden. I've read Shoujo. Um, High School Debut. Big Wind Up so many uh so many different types of stories and types of genres i feel like i've kind of read them all 
but I can't for the life of me remember if I've ever read a space battle. And that's where it gets kind of cool because I don't know if any other anime truly has the privilege, the privilege of being that type of anime. I don't know if any other anime truly has the privilege of really being made for the screen as opposed to to be held in your hands. You're not to be, it's not to be thought of, it's almost to be experienced. Oh, you know what? I just kind of thought of one. The, um, some of the old, old, old ones. Oh, what is that? What is that one called? It's called um, Captain Har Harlock. I think they even made a live, a live action version of Captain Harlock, and it's on Netflix or something. I think that might be one where they read it on the page and people really liked it. But still, I kind of really having to think about this. Because I can't recall otherwise. And it's kind of, kind of cool. So, beyond that, why is this genre so special? Why is it so weird? Why is it so unique? I think the fact that... Here's what I envision. Okay, I envision that to truly appreciate, to truly kind of appreciate this genre, you have to almost give yourself up unto the genre. You have to just let go and exist and be sucked in to whatever the story is. And when I say sucked into the story, you have to just allow the story, you have to just allow the story to take you where it wants to take you. I keep picturing this giant screen and me sitting on like a recliner and the screen is the whole wall, even though it's not the whole wall, but in my mind it expands because I get sucked in so much. And the, the wall and the world is black. And when the emptiness comes, I'm isolated on my recliner. And there's no one else around. And there's nothing else around. And I imagine that and I think of that and I just, I just feel like that is what it is. It's the, the, the traveling without traveling. That is kind of what I'm getting at. It's the, the distance without distance. It's the, it's the cre it's the, it's the, the exploration without exploration if this is starting to make any sense to you guys that is really kind of what I'm talking about the it's hard to get sucked in and taken away ironically it's not in a book 
<laughs> you know, if you're reading, you're not competing with the size because you already have your mind. But if you're not reading, I don't know. I really don't know. If you're not reading, if you're not reading, I'm not sure. I don't know why it translates and I don't know why and I don't know if, if I'm just being crazy, but I feel like there's something there. And that is probably the first unique thing. The first unique thing about this particular uh, genre that hits me. It's the first unique thing that makes me question its existence in one of the staples, the absolute staples, in one of the absolute staples of the genre. So there's a couple of other really things, cool things that make it so unique and weird. And I kind of want to get to them uh, as well. So stay tuned, stick with me. And I want to keep exploring, almost like we're going from planet to planet, about the space opera anime genre and how it kind of breaks down in these little pockets of oxygen for us to appreciate. The weird thing for me about the space opera genre is the one subgenre within that genre. It's the giant robots. Every time we think of the space battles, the starships, the galactic, whatever, and we think Japan, we think giant robots. And that really brings up a very basic question. Why? Why giant robots? Why, why robots at all? They don't make sense. And I'm not talking about a robot in itself doesn't make sense. I'm talking about you have a giant robot, humanoid robot, that has to be piloted by a human being. In what weird reality where you have a bunch of scientists, mathematicians, uh, physicists, wizards, would they envision that that's the best method for um, giant metallic combat? It doesn't make any sense. How would this big human be faster, more resilient, um, more sturdy, more flexible, more fluid than just a regular sized ship. I mean, think about it. If you have to go fast and you're driving a car, right? And you race cars and you're trying to win. What is the first thing that they do? Is they look at the craft, they look at the shape of it, they look at the hull, and they look for any extraneous, like, 
stuff anything that's going to cut down on wind resistance anything that's going to make it drag slow it down um anything that's going to like you know gather air they're not going to add an arm a leg a head some wings like it doesn't make any sense uh, and then too okay you have a pilot and he is strapped into this giant thing okay and then he's going to space in a human shaped thing where there's no ground if you create something that's human shaped you're doing it because you want it to have the movement functionality of a human being yet you send it somewhere where no human being could ever function it's just open it's just a vacuum it's just whatever it's one of those it's one of those things right it's this explosive vacuumous empty area but if you were to put Usain Bolt out there he can't run a lap it, it makes no sense you would want to put something out that's sleek that would float that would use the, the, the currents of whatever is around it to propel itself in a better way as opposed to someone trying to walk. But that's not what they do. That's the one part which makes it so interesting. That's the one part that separates it, I guess, from other genres. It's the even though that it's scientific, it's fantastical. Doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't need to make sense because it's cool. And almost in a weird way, by making the crafts humanoid, the audience and even the characters will treat them like that they can get more connected to this robot than to their enemies. And I guess every single person does it anyway, who kind of loves machines, they give it that little bit of personification, not even if it's anatomical, they give it names, they, they give it nicknames, they pet it. They're like, oh yeah, this is Sheila. This bird's been with me in the Navy for 20 years. I've been a pilot for 30 years. She's the best one. And this just makes it easier. So that's always been weird. Then there's the, the notion of why are they so like big and only one person pilots them. When I think about like a tank, right? Submarine, uh, I guess even a plane, though quite a few planes probably only have one pilot, but a lot of them have two. Most of the devices have multiple operators. And when we start to think of the scale of the equipment, there's only one operator. Okay, cool. Then there's the weapons that they choose to give it. If you have a giant humanoid figure, why do you give it humanoid weaponry? You don't have to. 
You don't have to give it a sword, even if it's a sword made of light. You don't have to give it a giant gun. I would think you would just give it some sort of fields within itself that would self-propel. Because if it's already this giant machine, do you need it to carry a weapon? Wouldn't the weapon be better suited just attached? Maybe the weapon propulsion system is internal. This is somebody who has no weaponry expertise, so I may just be talking out of my ass, but it doesn't seem like that's gonna be the best way to do it. But the whole point of me saying is, is how wonderfully absurd this notion is. It's not just, hey, what up? Oh, I was recording the podcast. <laughs> My bad. That's all good. How are right you? Huh? <laughs> oh, hey. Oh. All right, I'll be back. I'm headed to lunch. And I'm going to work up a fantastic appetite for you guys. And I'm going to hopefully drum up some interesting conversation because I got a little bit into the giant robot aspects of it but I kind of want to talk a little bit about the more human side the more human side of being in space what it feels like how it translates as opposed to just the mechanical aspects one of the things that really interests me is how space itself almost becomes a metaphor for not just not only just um, expansion that's usually what it was back in the 60s 70s when uh, stories were a lot more optimistic during those times stories were about adventure and what does the future hold and what's going to happen with Uh, the world going forward if you look back kind of into the era of um i'll keep it anime but like the types of shows they were doing it was about let's get to space let's build these robots and these cool superheroes there was like astro boy right he was this super idealistic perfect boy that never did anything um untoward he was aspirational but as times change people get way more cynical the 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 notion of the focus the focus differs the focus is shifted toward um, something different so instead of it just being about we're gonna make it to the stars The sentiment is we've already made it and we've already screwed it up. It's just as convoluted, crooked, backwards, unappealing, random, dumb, stupid, whatever you want to call it, as the current world. There's underground crime rings, there's corruption, there's exploration, but not the best kind. There's uh, bounty, bounty hunters. There's the law. 
And it just becomes another rehash of our current civilization, as if human beings are destined to repeat the, the foulness and kind of the stagnation that we have here on Earth. And that it's just an, an, in, an, an inevitability. So when you look at that, you start to think about shows like Cowboy Bebop. And Cowboy Bebop is the standard. It's the, the one that kind of launched the thousand pink ships. It's the show that showed that kind of um, exemplary bit of humanity with that very heavy undertone. So even though it's a martial arts action adventure, it's very much a drama. It's very much kind of this almost sad tale of a warrior who's basically living out his days waiting to die. He's become bounty hunter, so he still gets to use his instincts. He still gets to show his his excellence. He still gets to have adventures, but a part of him is broken. And the story kind of progresses showing how he is trying to mend a part of himself by coming to terms with his past. And that's kind of what it's all about. And that type of character is not truly relatable to a lot of people. Because a lot of people, most people, haven't gone through the things that he's gone through. Most people don't have that terribleness. That experience of that, uh, the combat, the intense militaristic background the underground rings most of us don't experience that but he did and now he's trying to come back live in this normal world basically with ptsd and the metaphor of space space is the allegory for his soul in a lot of ways and then on top of that animation was on point one of the best animated shows of the 90s. It's a classic. The music is incredible. They actually took care and time and attention to put it together. But that's the start of things. So I want to talk about some of the other stories because there's so many. But let's kind of start there. How is space different than what it was? Why is it different? And why do we need it to be different? Cowboy Bebop is the greatest anime of all time, according to some. Actually, that's according to many. It seems to be the grand standard of quality, of excitement, of animation, of personality. Its main character, Spike Spiegel, oozes charisma. The cast is deeply flawed, incredibly intriguing, and just 
intuitively focused. The animation makes everything so visually compelling that you're almost confused if anyone were to say they didn't like it or that they thought it was of poor quality. Cowboy Bebop is the show. There are certain shows that people always show other people when they say oh you want an example of a high quality anime oh you want an example of an anime that just reeks of brilliance and pop panache possess and you know a million other buzzwords cowboy bebop is the one That is the show that came out when I was in high school. One of the 90s anime brood. And it was so shocking how it's a blend of genres. And it's a blend that I personally wouldn't have anticipated. It's a blend of Western and sci-fi. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised because a million people all over the world always say that Star Wars is kind of the same thing. That that movie has that kind of cross-genre style where you have certain moments, for example, in the cantina, where Han Solo runs into a bounty hunter. And he says that he's coming for his head. Jabba already put the bounty out on him. And then Han blasts him under the table before he can even adequately get to his pistol. And that kind of genre blend is that same kind of vibe and execution of why Cowboy Bebop is in a lot of ways very special. And yet, it's even more than that. Because when you're a young boy and you get an anime, in a lot of ways, You like a lot of typical things that young boys like. You like a lot of action. You like uh, martial arts movies. You like um, comics, things that are animated, things that are vivid. And yet, you hadn't seen anything like this. At least I hadn't intro is famous it's jazz it's that upbeat stellar intricate style jazz where it's not just one of the typical jazz standards like so what or summertime or 
Take Five, even though Take Five and Summertime actually are brilliant songs, but it was just something you didn't normally hear, like a high-energy Maynard Ferguson-style classic lab band from outer space, and it just flows. And as you're watching it, one of my friends commented at the time that he was so impressed with the animation that the characters really truly moved like real people moved and he's correct when you see it from the get-go you see just like the animation of the feet of spike kind of move doing the movements of his martial arts and the shoes just kind of kind of half moving half dancing in that way that those sleek martial artists often do and you're like okay this isn't the ordinary show this is special and then on top of that on top of just the fact that it's so well put together and the quality is so high there are these little intricate details that kind of elevate the show beyond the standard show um spike does martial arts right but he doesn't just do some random blend they actually took the time to give him a craft he does jeet kundo which was a style that was um invented and created by Bruce Lee, famously as one of the early mixed martial arts, where he studied all the different styles of fighting and started combining the bits and pieces that he found to be most useful, bucking trends and traditions, finding ways to um, generate something against tradition when tradition would often leave you wanting in addition to that there's the attention to the bounty structure there's the attention to the fact that the whole world is kind of that old run down weird vibe even though it's in space and for some reason all the characters just feel so very lonely spike despite his brilliance and his charisma and his charm and his talent and his skill he doesn't feel like he's connected to anybody he's the lost half dead soldier jet is an ex detective who lost his arm, I guess, and now he has a cybernetic implant. So he and Spike are friends, but they're still longing for their previous past. Even right now, as I'm kind of discussing it, it's late at night, I'm kind of wandering over to the uh, grocery store, trying to get a couple of things, and it's just so empty right now. And it's so fitting, and it's just so unreal, because that kind of separation from the connection 
that weird separation. It's it's very apparent in that show and in other shows. So you can kind of go on and on when it comes to that stuff because the that thread of isolation exists in all the characters including Faye who puts on the bravado but's actually super super lonely including Ed who has the kind of wacky outer persona but she too is lonely and it's only their kind of similar similar internal feelings that draws them toward one another and allows them to kind of you know understand where the other person is coming from and that's kind of the beauty of it because despite despite everything despite all of the kind of like wildness and the intensity and the craziness in regards to the show there's still that kind of sense that kind of sense of of man I sure hope that they're going to be okay I sure hope that they're going to uh, make it I sure hope everybody on that ship is truly going to be feeling good because it's hard for me even to articulate because when I think about this show or when this show is discussed this is not how people kind of tend to discuss it for the most part they only view like the highs the spark the the music the the the, the, the drama the excitement the cool ship that he has the zipping around all that type of stuff it tends to be where the focus lies however when I think about that space opera genre and I think about space why put this setting in space if the only notion is to be like well you know it looks cool fair enough so it looks cool but what else what else is occurring that kind of says why space why now why like this why make this excitement have that serious undercurrent where you're just like waiting for that second shoe to drop and any episode now any episode now it will so So, that type of stuff, I tend to think about when it comes to this show. That kind of sense and sentiment of difference. Not something that is actually like comprehended or needed or wondered about or anything. But it's there. And since it's there... I can't look away. I keep seeing it again and again and again. And it's very strange, but I know it's there. 
And since I know it's there, it cannot be ignored. So, not to bring things down too much, because I am your otaku uncle, but I can't help but feel that. I can't help but feel that. And I wonder if it's just me, or I wonder if other people feel it too. But there's certainly something. There certainly is. So, I have other things I want to talk about too. Um, I'm trying some fun stuff out. I'm trying some classic anime stuff out. And in addition to that, I'm, I have some, some stuff that I'm kind of putting together for the classic anime thing with some alternative viewing methods, some fun ways, maybe some curated stuff that I'm just going to kind of throw out just because I think it's kind of funny um, for as long as it will last. And in addition to that, um, I'm trying to... I'm trying to figure out if I should really dive in and kind of like bleh, like explode all of the um, thoughts and, and feelings I have about Xenogears because it's my favorite RPG of all time. And I talked a little bit about that on the YouTube channel, but I didn't really get into it like I wanted to. I love that game. I think that that is one of the best RPGs ever made. And it just has that cool uniqueness where it offers a million things. And it's so funny because when you think about like other RPGs, you kind of know what you're getting as you're getting into it, right? They offer something, and then within that offer, you know that's what you're getting. But with this one, they, the expectation is it to be of one thing, and you almost get these bonuses. You get these extras. You get these things that you didn't realize that you wanted until they were there. So I really think I want to talk about this in a more long-form, detailed some sort of environment setting whatever especially because I've, I've I played it so much when I was younger when I didn't know what to get I would get that so I'll talk about that later right now I'm going to leave you with this sense of space I'm going to leave you with this sense of time this weird sense of almost like a dropped beat in the sentiment so like share subscribe love peace and hair grease and I think I'm trying to decide if I want to get one snack versus the other <laughs> but I'm your otaku uncle uh, go watch uh, what let's play of Xeno Gears uh, and have a great night goodbye I'll, I'll find someone no problem thank you